Hello and welcome to another episode of the Philosophy Guy podcast. Brendan Weber here, your host, and today's episode we are going to talk some Inception and do a little bit of philosophy of Inception and also kind of just analyzing a uh, fan theory and well-thought-out theory that happens to relate to philosophy. So I thought it'd be a a fun um, episode to do on Inception. But anyway, the plot of Inception to kind of give you some exposition, involves Dom Cobb, beautifully played by Leonardo DiCaprio and his squad of dreamers, where they enter into a corporate executive's dream to implant an idea in his mind. In this case, the idea on how to deal with his inherited corporation after the death of his father. So now, for the idea to work... The dreamer must not realize that the idea has been implanted in his mind. So Cobb's team constructs a three-layered dream, a dream within a dream within a dream. So as in the rules of this universe, this is what it takes to implant an idea uh, deep enough so that the dreamer perceives it to be his or her own thought. It's deep enough into the, the dreamer's subconscious. So this layered dream allows the dream squad to disguise themselves as projections of the dreamer's psyche. Props to Christopher Nolan for yet another terrific plot in a film, and well done and visually pleasing and providing another great film to analyze through a philosophical lens as well. So now this film has a key subplot that we're really going to analyze. A subplot I would call... Equal in weight, or even more so, to the main plot, where Mr. and Mrs. Cobb once got so stuck deep inside the layers of the dream world that they grew old enough in their dream life. That they grew old in their dream life, I mean. To escape, Cobb had to convince his wife that they weren't in reality. So unfortunately, when she awoke with that idea still in her mind, she thought she was still dreaming. To escape, she killed herself. Before we dive in, my little announcement about the podcast. You know, it's a little self-advertisement, right? So this isn't my typical self-advertisement, though. It's more of an announcement about the podcast. So I'm doing another book giveaway. Uh, But, you know, like I said, this is a little bit of a self-advertisement, but I'm trying to help promote the show. But anyway, it's an opportunity for you to support the show by by also getting something in return. So with this book giveaway, or multiple book giveaway, I should say, it's also basically any book you'd like dealing with philosophy, psychology, or ideas in general. And, you know, basically anything, I'm just not going to go buy you the Hunger Games trilogy or something. (laughs) So I'll send out a list to those who enter of ideas that I recommend. But you can enter one way by uh, doing something like, last time I did this, sending me a picture by email, which is in the description below, or um, of, uh, that, of that, uh, that picture will include your rating or review of the show, and that will give you one entry. You can also get another entry by signing up for our community newsletter, which that link is also below. And that newsletter is to help build kind of a community around the podcast, communicate about the podcast, and present the bonus content I'm doing as well. You know, it's often in a writing format or a recommendation format. Using, I use the Medium publication to do that. Medium publication platform to do that. 
And I've called the publication of Philosopher's Stone, and that newsletter will kind of give you access to that without having kind of a medium uh, membership anyway. So check that out. And another way you can further support the show in more tangible ways, and in another entry, is by supporting me on Patreon. And supporting at any level on Patreon will earn you another uh, entry into the book giveaway contest. So you can do one of these or all of them. It's up to you. But uh, doing one will earn you one entry, of course, and doing all three will earn you three entries. But enough of the boring chit-chat. Let's get back to analyzing the philosophy of conception. So, what can we philosophically analyze? What's a subtext? Well, that concerns the metaphysical status of Cobb throughout the film. Is the whole film itself an elaborate dream of Cobb's? At the end, we are deliberately left unsure what is the case, wondering what's a dream and what's real. Also considering this, what is the real message of the film? Was it, what is it trying to convey to us? What is the message? What is the meaning of life is trying to demonstrate? But let's dive into that. So one theory of the film, popular, I guess you could say it's a popular theory, is it's all Cobb's dream, right? The entire movie, from start to finish, we are in the mind of Cobb. Even the flashbacks, those are Cobb's memories. So even those keep us within Cobb's head, so to speak. So now you, you might say, of course, this is just a theory. The movie ends with the spinning totem of Cobb's. Yeah, but that's not the, the only evidence that the whole film is within a dream. You know, if that was, that was the only evidence we had was the, the spinning top where we, in the film, visually just looking at the top, not knowing for sure if it's going to stop spinning to show that he's in, re, in reality instead of the dream world. But that would make for a pretty boring episode. <laughs> In a pretty boring theory, there, there's there's actually some obvious evidence in the film, which we're going to look at. So now to keep this fan theory within the scope of philosophy, let's analyze a theory in philosophy for problem solving. In philosophy, it's sometimes connected with the idea of using assumption, as in assumptions that readers make about the, the intended meaning of the author. So basically, you use heuristics to interpret philosophical works often. Now, it's a bit different than simply using logic and reason, as heuristics technique is a more kind of, I'd say, practical method of thinking, as in it's not always the most optimal, perfect, logical, or even reason-based way of thinking. And this assumption I'm going to make here is this might be oversimplifying and someone can contact me and correct me if they want, but I'd say it's just a very intuitive judgment type of thinking. You kind of operate on your intuitions, speeding up our thinking to find the kind of quickest satisfactory solution to a problem. This way of thinking is often used to kind of decrease our cognitive load, which, you know, I feel like a lot of a lot of us can sympathize with, right? So in philosophy, it's a good method for thinking creatively, thinking outside the box, in a way kind of allowing ourselves to bend logic a bit. Now, this isn't an episode on heuristic thinking, so I... I don't want to bore you and get too into the weeds with it, but, but this should provide you kind of a, a one-minute version overview of what it is. But I'll unpack 
this idea of heuristics a little more and how it relates to the film itself. So something we have to ask ourselves about Inception, and even about philosophical works in general, is, 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 a, is a contradiction a purposeful contradiction? Was that contradiction placed there with an intended purpose? As in the contradiction is placed as a signal to the reader, saying, hey, keep your mind at attention here. It's about to be blown. Now, it's very hard to know if the contradiction was on purpose. I mean, the author would have to come out and say so. And to me, that would often defeat the purpose of the contradiction. And I'm, re- I'm referring to a purposeful contradiction in that that it's intended there to, to bring the attention to something else. It's not like someone has wrote like a manifesto of their treaties of philosophy and their meaning of life. And they have contradictions spilled throughout, but they're just really bad at making arguments, right? It's a different type of contradiction. It's a contradiction, like I was saying, with a purpose. It's up to the... And the point of this type of contradiction is it's up to the many readers and watchers to discover these various truths or interpret these various truths. So in philosophy, though we, we, how we operate with heuristic thinking will shape how we interpret the overall work. You see, that, that intuitive thinking will, will shape how we interpret the work. A common example in philosophy of a text that uses or... I wouldn't say he uses heuristics, but it's interpreted often with the heuristics lens, as in how seriously are we supposed to take some of Socrates' recommendations within Plato's Republic? If these suggestions are true within the Republic, then Plato is essentially advocating collecting children from their biological parents and putting them under collective education, preventing biological parents from knowing their children. It's probably not a good idea, right? And intuitively, I hope you think that's a bad idea at all. And some interpret some arguments in the Republic as satire, such as that one. And Plato gives characters kind of ridiculous arguments to illustrate the stupidity of trying to create the perfect city. It's a purposeful satire, contradiction, and and ridiculousness that is placed there for that purpose, to shed light on the ridiculousness of the whole idea, providing commentary in that a perfect city, a utopia... Is impossible. You'll never reach it, right? Or maybe another interpretation is correct in that it's a manual for philosophers to take over the world. And I also think another interpretation could be is maybe it is a manual for philosophers to take over the world, but the the means to reach that end are so ridiculous. Plato is basically saying <laughs> that philosophers are never going to take over the world. It's just not practical could be satire in that sense who knows we will never know for sure unless we find a new tablet of plato's works pops up saying ha got you with that one explaining his intent for the whole republic and how it is a satire piece but even then we were we'll still probably find some doubt within that the point is when reading the text you use heuristics to interpret what you think is happening then reading through the rest of the text you think about it with a lens of that that initial intuitive judgment, making it more likely the text will fit that theory. So if your initial thought of the Republic was, oh, this is a satire piece, he's just being sarcastic, he doesn't actually mean this. You know, it's possible that your heuristic judgment was placed within that and everything else kind of just falls into place. It's kind of the way that the text is formatted in that way. So another example is Machiavelli's The Prince. One interpretation is it's a serious political manifesto that believes to that that's it's a manifesto on how to be a great leader, right? And it's actually saying that it's it's better to be feared than loved. Another 
uh, interpretation is it's, it's an act of revenge. A carefully desi- disguised sabotage designed to trick the Medicis or rulers into acting like tyrants and provoking a rebellion of the people. Genius if true, especially because people are still trying to determine the truth today. And what's been very well disguised. But the point is, heuristics shapes how you view arguments, how you interpret things. So, well, let's relate this back to Inception. How does heuristics relate back to Inception? What is the point of me explaining all this? Christopher Nolan is known for making philosophy-heavy films. His movies are well thought out. He made Memento, the Batman trilogy, of course, and The Prestige. I think we can assume Inception was a well-thought-out work. So ask yourself, does it raise the possibility that any major contradictions in his work were placed there on purpose? Are they signals to the viewer rather than errors? So maybe we need some heuristic thinking to kind of figure this out. So wait, to take a step back and kind of unpack this a little bit more, what is the obvious contradiction running through the film? And that answer is, it's Mal. It's Cobb's wife. She is the contradiction that beats the viewer over the head with her presence throughout the film. It's a constant contradiction, a constant reminder throughout the film. Characters of the film, Inception, lay out the rules of who exists in dreams multiple times. There's the dreamer who creates the dream space, the subject or target, so to speak, who populates a dream world with... uh, subconscious projections and then you have other sleepers who join in for example in the james bondish snowy mountain fortress ames who's played by tom hardy is the dreamer robert fisher who's played by colin murphy is the subject and kyle leonardo DiCaprio and erane ellen is played by ellen page and sorry if i pronounced that right, wrong it's uh it's a greek word which we'll get into the importance of that greek word in a second are the other sleepers everyone else in the dream such as the henchmen protecting the fortress, are created by Fisher's subconscious. They are the projections, the actual projections. But what the heck is Mal doing there? What is she? Why does she keep appearing in the film? See, Mal appears in various dreams throughout the film, including the mountain fortress, despite not being real. She's not one of the joined-in sleepers. Cobb says she's a projection of his subconscious. But then how does she appear when Cobb is not the dreamer or the subject? Why don't some of the other sleepers project a character into other people's dreams? Are we to believe Cobb's the only one with with baggage in life? I mean, come on, right? We all have baggage, and I think we can assume other characters or someone has some sort of baggage. There's, there's no doubt someone in the crew had something brewing in their subconscious ready to boil over. Maybe we can chalk it up to the fact that Cobb has spent so much time in the dream world that deep in the dream world even, that his subconscious is extra weak compared to everyone else. But I think we can assume that the other dream walkers or dream workers have spent a lot of time in the dream world as well. I mean, you have this job where you basically get to bend a dream to do what you want. It's, it's a, probably a pretty enticing thing to do. It's kind of like virtual reality within your own mind. I think they would likely at least be facing similar issues as Cobb has. But I think it's, it's purposeful that Cobb is the only one to have his subconscious spillover. See, Inception presents the rules of dreams as straightforward exposition. They are never contradicted or even doubted by anyone in the movie, any character. If it turned out the dreaming expert's understanding of dreams was wrong all along, 
I think it's safe to assume Nolan probably would have included that in the script. It would have made for a very good plot twist. I mean, I think it's safe to assume Nolan didn't make that mistake. So if, if unless it was on purpose, right? So if you were to accept this fan theory of, of my kind of, not mine, but the fans kind of heuristic interpretation of the film, that means the entire film is a dream. But does it make the whole film meaningless? What does this make the meaning of the film? So let's do some more philosophy for that. But first, let's, let's complicate matters even more. Let's explain Cobb's state of mind. You see, the plot gets even more complicated. As the flashbacks show us, Cobb and Mal spent years going deeper and deeper into dreams within dreams within dreams together, where they eventually reach limbo, which is where you can construct reality at will. You can create your own world, essentially. Now, to leave limbo, you have to wake up from successive dreams. And I think intuitively this could be confusing, right? Constantly waking up and still being in a dream. I mean, we've all been in a deep dream state, right? Or probably at least. Where the dream seems so real, you don't realize it's not real until you wake up. It's that snap of when you wake up. Well, imagine doing that constantly. It could be easy to lose sight of what's real and what's not when you're going dream within dream within dream. Now, when Cobb and Mal find that they've reached a level Cobb believes is reality, but Mal insists it's still a dream... She becomes convinced they are still in a dream. That then she decides to kill herself, which will wake her up. That's the only way to reach reality, right? So this crushes Cobb, who believes Mal just committed suicide in reality. Making matters worse, Cobb thinks it's his fault. You see, Mal didn't want to leave Limbo Land. It's revealed that Cobb incepts her, planting the idea that her reality in Limbo isn't real, so that She'll want to leave. Well, that gets her out of limbo or the desire to leave limbo. But when back in reality or what Cobb thinks is reality, she has this nagging sense in her mind that it's still a dream, which Cobb blames on the inception that the thought of questioning reality would never leave. It's stuck in her subconscious. Kind of trippy, right? But if the whole movie is Cobb's dream, that means she's, she's not dead. She was right. She's not actually dead. She just woke up. Cobb is the one who's still stuck in the in his heads, in his head, he doesn't have multiple heads, sorry, <laughs> in his head of dreams. You see, it doesn't invalidate the plot. It adds another layer of tragedy to the plot. She's not actually dead. You see, it, it provides, it also provides commentary on dreams and memory, as both exist in our heads. So in some ways, memories are real and dreams aren't, but memory is also... It's also saying memory is very unreliable, in a sense. And dreams use real experiences, memories as inputs to create the output of the dream. So it makes dreams, in a way, kind of unreliable as well. So in a way, both dreams and memories shape us, though. That's the point. So what about other signals? The character, Eradne, stands out. It's too fluffy, so to speak, to be an accidental name. See, Eradne is a character from Greek mythology who helped Theseus escape the Monitor's kind of wrath. She fell in love with Theseus and gave him a ball of thread, which guides him through the maze. So in Inception, Aradne guides Cod through the giant dead wife dream he's constructed. Nolan's device or choice for the character's name isn't exactly subtle. There's purpose there. 
it's too it's too obvious to not be shown as purpose. She happens to be the character that guides Cobb throughout his maze. Just happens to fit, like, throughout his trap. And this dialogue between Cobb and her in the film pretty much, I think, proves his theory to me, at least. Or at least confirmed my heuristic. See, Rodney says, You might have the rest of the team convinced to carry on with this job, but they don't know the truth. Cobb says, Truth? What truth? Rodney responds, The truth that at any minute, you might bring a freight train through the wall. The truth that Mal is bursting through your subconscious. The truth that as we go deeper into Fisher, we are also going deeper into you. Based on the rules of dreaming no one lays out, Arane is describing Fisher's dream as existing within cops. Only the subject could bring a freight train through a wall or make a manifestation of his subconscious appear. This partially foreshadowing because Fisher later brings a freight train onto a city street and makes manifestations of his subconscious appear when he's the subject. But it's also a clue because we are, in fact, going deeper into Cobb. Now, Limbo is another clue to demonstrate this theory. Some films act as though dreams allow you to to, uh, enter another realm, so to speak. You are are in this location together. It's, It's this one universal place for everyone. But in Nolan's inception, doesn't exactly work that way. His is a little more realistic, I think. And, and he avoids that. And, and he would better explain that if he meant it to be this universal location, this universal dream state. But it's not. You see, Cobb and his team don't enter a world of dreams. They enter a specific person's dream. Each person has a dr- different dream world. Now, limbo is the deepest level of dreaming, an unconstructed dream space, pure subconscious. When Cobb and Mal dream together, they shape that subconscious together, however they wish. And the major clue is when Cobb, Rane, and Fisher enter limbo, it's it's not unconstructed, unconstructed dream space. The things Cobb and Mal built are still there. You see, everyone has their own limbo, their own limbo to be constructed. The constructed space in Cobb's limbo, not Fisher's or anyone else's. They're, under the rules laid out by Nolan, this shows we are in Cobb's limbo. We are in Cobb's mind. So now everyone wants to discuss the spinning top. That's a clue as well. I mean, that's more of a clue, a distraction to focus on, to make it appear as though the answer has doubt. But based on the film, the answer was in front of us the entire time. We think about the spinning top moment instead of what the rest of the film actually tells us about that spinning top moment. See, it's still important because we don't see the top fall, so it doesn't prove the theory about the film false but it also doesn't prove it correct in a sense, right? You know, if the movie ended demonstrating that there's no sign of that top spinning, falling down, it just keeps spinning, then it would rather prove it. But Nolan probably placed it there on purpose. It was meant to be this, to provide doubt, to make you overthink that moment. Provide doubt to bring focus to the contradiction. But it doesn't matter for the overall meaning of the film. See, the point is, and I think the point that Nolan wants to make is that Cobb doesn't bother waiting for the top to fall over. We're, the audience is the one focusing on the, the totem top, spinning. After clearing his mind with Mal, forgiving himself, and then seeing his children again, he's happy. He's content with the current reality he's in. So he doesn't care if it's real or not. He cares about his perception of that reality, whether it's a dream or not. So maybe Aragon and I did one job or her job of getting him one step closer to truly waking up. Or maybe it was never about escaping the dreams. 
She helped Cobb escape his paralyzing guilt. Even if he's still in the dream world, which is which he likely is, he no longer has this very real feeling of guilt. The point is, don't worry about whether the reality we, we leave in or we live in is real or fake. Analyze the happiness you feel within your current state of reality. And I think that's the meaning of life and the meaning of the movie that no one was trying to get at. But anyway, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, review, and uh, tune in next time. Peace.